0: I mean, technically I can say yes, I've been to the Bay Area, just the airport, one really overpriced restaurant, switching some terminals but it counts.
1: They don't need to know that bro.
0: They don't need to know that. I mean, that way even Al Capone has spent about half a decade in the Bay Area. but in Alcatraz prison. (laughs) I guess I'm better off than him.
1: I was working for this startup during my freshman summer and one of the chief officers there he told me a story about how he came out of a meeting in that area and there's this homeless person who kind of calls out to me, you know like asking for money or something. My boss he ignores him and walks away. And then behind him, he hears footsteps and the person is just running after him for absolutely no reason. (laughs) And my boss mentioned that he had to run for about 4 or 5 blocks into this construction site to lose him before he could call a cab and get the hell out of there.
0: How would you Americanize the name if you are Atharv? What would you tell people your name Atharv Sabas would be a nightmare, I feel for the guy. Everyone was going around and they were supposed to like tell something about themselves, like introduce themselves to everybody else. He oh says, man. hi guys, I'm Andy. No, you're not Andy, bro. <laughs> there is no N, there is no D, there is no Y in your name. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Quarantine. I'm your host Arnav and to join me today I have one of my closest friends whom I've known for almost about a decade in school. He now studies in computer science in Stanford University, Ayush Singla. We're going international now and we're going all the way straight to California, the state Ayush now calls his second
1: home. Hi Ayush, how's it going? Hey man, happy to be here. And just to clarify, I'm not in California right now, not to mislead your viewers or anything, but I am in New Delhi right now because of the quarantine, as you call it.
0: And a moment of silence for our failed California spring break plans. Is it
1: okay if I cry a bit? Like, is that?
0: Oh, that's perfectly okay. The last podcast uh-huh. was all just a therapy session about sadness in Tripoli and NTU.
1: I heard that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but that was one of the greatest tragedies of the 21st century. I'd say that spring break in cali got canceled because of COVID. Because I remember we'd been planning that for like a good solid year or something. Just like loosely like, yes, bro, California, yay. And then about four days before the trip, I remember getting a text from you saying, "Uh, bro, is there any chance you could cancel your flights? I'm like, why? What happened? And then you suddenly just went like, oh my God, like cases are topping in thousands in San Francisco. San Stanford is shut down. I'm heading to Minneapolis. And then like five days later, I find out that you're in New Delhi. So i can imagine how that conversation at home went where you told them i'm going to minneapolis and then they were like nope come back to new delhi
1: man i mean here's the thing right we could have gone on the trip but there was this case of staying alive that i kind of like so i had to cancel on that i am sorry to bail on you but (laughs) also had other plans we didn't really flourish to say
0: yeah i mean i would have had to cancel as well so i mean yeah 50 50 claim over there for flaking on the plan.
1: I mean, you still did go to Cali though. Like, you went to the airport which is, I have to say, one of the worst things about San Francisco. So you've got to experience that part of California life.
0: Yeah, I mean a three and a half hour transit, but does that really count? I mean, technically I can say yes I've been to the Bay Area, which I mean, that's a flex right there for everybody listening. I've been to the Bay Area. Just the airport. One really overpriced restaurant, switching some terminals but it counts.
1: You don't need to know that bro.
0: They don't need to know that. I mean, that way, even Al Capone has spent about half a decade in the Bay Area, or oh in Alcatraz prison.
1: <laughs>
0: <so>. <laughs> I guess I'm better off than him.
1: It's a beautiful place, man. You should go.
0: Alcatraz or the Bay Area? Alcatraz. I'm curious to know why you know that.
1: Oh, I've been there once. We went on this trip, a few of my friends and I, and it was chilling. Because you just hear the stories from Alcatraz and it's like not the best environment. Like you've heard in India, we have the Kalapani jail in Andaman. So it's like that kind of vibes.
0: I thought you were going to say you've been there once and you've served your time. I was going to then ask what you did.
1: Oh man, that place is closed thankfully.
0: (laughs) Oh, I didn't know that.
1: It's a landmark (laughs) now.
0: Yeah, I got a postcard for Alcatraz from the airport, like all all the places in the US where I didn't go, but I just stopped by the airport, Chicago, San Francisco. Yeah, I got postcards for all of them.
1: I do Starbucks cups. Starbucks has this traveler series where they have all these mugs for their cities. So whenever I go to a city, I get those mugs.
0: But what exactly is the Bay Area? I've always been curious. Like, Is Bay Area just Stanford? Is Bay Area the Facebook, Apple, Google offices around it? What exactly is the Bay Area, which is so famous?
1: So Bay Area is like everything you mentioned, right? And so much more. So the Bay Area is basically the area encompassing San Francisco, um, below that Sanford, as you mentioned, and the places where Google and Apple live, the whole infinity loop thing and a bit of San Jose as well, I think. So overall, the Bay Area got its name because of Stanford. I feel the school started and you had these growing startups all around it, right? That's why we kind of heard the Silicon Valley thing and you kind of associate the Bay Area with tech now.
0: Is Silicon Valley an actual place or is that just like something that's made up in the air, which is just a general term for all these tech offices?
1: I think it's a bit of both in the sense that I'm sure there might be one or two areas with with the actual name of Silicon Valley. But more or less, it's like this term you use for the area which has all these tech companies.
0: When you have so many of these big tech companies, Right. some of the biggest, like Google, Apple, Facebook, like right next to Stanford, then do you feel that that contributes to people getting motivated to joining these tech firms or does that encourage people to start their own thing?
1: So in fact, it does both. So what you have at Stanford is like people from all of these walks of life, right? Like with different goals. That's the thing I love most about Stanford, the people. They're amazing and all of them have, if you listen to their backstories, they have such rich backstories and different motivations about them in life. So for someone, one person might see the uh, Google headquarters and go, oh, I want to work there and I want to build something for them. Or you might see someone else and she might go that I'm going to build something that's going to take Google down. So you have both of these mindsets coming into it and I find that really inspiring.
0: So when it comes to the people right like i was reading um, on the stanford website where they have these four or five myths every stanford applicant not student every stanford applicant thinks about and one of them was that i don't feel like i'll fit in did you have any of the struggles as an international student where you may have struggled with fitting into the people and the culture
1: 100 percent, right like when i first got to stanford i had only been to the us once I had been out of the country three times, and for two of those times, I had been so small in age that I don't remember most of it. There was this fear, right? Like, am I going to be able to fit in? Are people going to like me? Am I going to be able to make connections the way I want to? So yeah, those worries were definitely there.
0: And were those buddies also there on an academic level? So in school, I know you were really into competitive programming and you were the president of the school's computer club, which was hands down probably the best or the most competitive computer club in all of Delhi among the school circuit. And so computer science was an obvious choice. But did you also find any difficulties in adapting to the culture academically?
1: Wow, these are really hard hitting questions, by the way. I've never thought about all this. To be honest, once I got to the campus, I was just in the flow of it. You know, you get to campus and you have these big orientations and you just meet people. And then within a week of those orientations, including the orientations, by the way, you kind of start off on classes and then you're meeting new people and then you're towards midterms or whatnot. So I never really got a chance to you know, slow down and think about it and be like, am I really fitting in? It was just kind of this big blur. I mean, I still can't remember like half my freshman year because of this whole blur thing. But yeah, I mean, in India, when they educate you on computer science, what they used to do, if you remember, which I'm sure you do, because it's something that would cause PTSD, is that big blue screen we used to call Turbo C++. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so going from that to coming into the, you know, startup goody goody environment at Stanford is and the quality instruction of CS that we have here is remarkable, man. It really is. Like I got there and I remembered that instructors actually cared whether I was learning and I was like, What is this sorcery? Is this is this true? Is this happening? Like huh?
0: This is a first. <laughs>
1: they want me to write smaller code than I already have written. They want me to comment my code. Who does that?
0: yeah i mean not only do i imagine stanford is a much higher quality of teaching in general compared to the rest of the world but yeah turbo c plus plus and the way cbsc in india teaches computer science is not only average i'd say it's much below
1: i mean there's a different approach of learning as well from the students when you get to campus, right? So I remember when we used to be in school, we used to go like, okay, so what do I need to know to pass that final exam, right? That's what we used to do. We used to cram the night before. So we could get a passing grade, which I guess in our definition would be 90% or above.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to say for Indian students. Passing is very different from failing. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs>
1: pass the boundary of the house into your house.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like there's a huge difference between passing the exam and passing respectable standards in Indian society.
1: Exactly. So when you go from something like that to a culture where people are like, Oh, this is really interesting. And I'm taking this class because not that I need it for my major. I need this because I want to learn more about it. And just that different approach to learning as well motivated me in the sense that, Oh, maybe I should explore my interests. Actually, for the first quarter I was at Stanford, I didn't take any CS classes. I took all of these classes in various domains, and I was like, oh, let's try them out. And if I want, and if I like any of them, I'll major in that instead. However, it seems like I have a brain that only works for CS. So,
0: Is the same quality of education maintained across all other majors, or most other majors rather, or is it just something that's computer science centric?
1: So Sanford, I think one of the great things about Sanford is that we are good in other departments as well. The site department is number one in the country and medical is good and law is one of the, is one of the top ten I'd like to say. I'm not really sure so don't quote me on that. But yeah, all of the school, most of the schools we have are really good at what they do. So no matter what you want to learn, you'll have access to the best. Yeah. Like the kind of money the CS department gets not only from the university, but from its corporate partners as well as just like has put it in league of its own, where you see the other schools kind of emulating the CS department in certain ways to get access to the funding that they need. For example, I know for one program. So the CS program, right? It has a lot of these entrepreneurship focused programs yeah so there's this one which motivates people to create their own startup which is fascinating and i saw recently that the chemistry department they came out with this grant of their own which is like we want to encourage people to figure out how to build a startup which relates to the field of chemistry so i want to say yes a lot of the schools at Stanford are amazing but the cs school is just so wealthy that other schools they want to follow in the lead
0: so if right. you're aware, how many of the students actually take it seriously in the sense that they look at their startup as something that potentially they could do full-time? Well, it's something which they could continue expanding to the point where that becomes their job.
1: Yeah, so none of my close friends have ever gone into the startup phase, but I know some people who have. And I think Stanford espouses this philosophy, if you like fail, try again. So no one looks at it as like, this is not going to work. They want it to work, but they're okay with it not working as well.
0: Yeah, so in contrast, here in NTU, this is one program called a minor in entrepreneurship, where okay. basically, first they'll teach you the fundamentals of business, like basics of accounting, marketing, operations, finance, and all that kind of stuff but it culminates in this one module or this one project, which you need to do with a group where you actually need to form a business or actually do something and try to get revenue. And then your success or failure of that one module is based on whether you were able to generate a profit or not. But the key difference is that a lot of people then, at least from what I've seen, take that up as a project rather than even at any point thinking that, okay, this is something that we could pursue full time. It's more of something just to add experience. It more of just gets buried after six months being like, okay, we've done this project, we've done our goal. And now, okay, cool. Now onto finding out a full-time job, which I think is just, it's not necessarily bad trying to find a full-time job instead of everyone trying to start their own thing in startups, but it's just a pretty apparent difference in philosophy when it comes to entrepreneurship, I'd say in general between Stanford and San Francisco and Singapore in general.
1: That's interesting you mentioned that because I wonder how much it has to do with, like, kind of this entire Asian approach to job safety, because at the end of the day, the Asian society, it's a collectivistic one, right, where you have to kind of come together and work for the betterment of your family in some sense. Like, we don't have it as much as in India, but I know for a fact that in East Asia, the family comes first. So maybe that's why you have this culture that would suggest that people are more concerned about their job security by finding a full-time job in an established company compared to running a startup and building the next Alibaba or something.
0: Which again, I mean, everyone starting their own startup is not necessarily the only way to do things, but just in general to promote that whole spirit of entrepreneurship and innovation could be better here.
1: No, I completely agree because you want students to have the tools to make their own living right like you don't want to push them towards one thing or the other i think one thing Stanford really does well is that they embed the startup culture into the educational experience so in the sense that as i mentioned before we have classes that kind of motivate you to build startups and not even motivate it's the final project for the class for a single five unit class so you could be ending up with a startup by the end of one quarter and by the end of the class you have these vcs like pair vc or something like that coming in and they're coming in bidding for your startup so it's just a really really lucrative atmosphere for anyone who wants to get into the startup space and apart from that you have all these amazing clubs these um, organizations, the student-run organizations, which kind of motivate and give you the tools to create your own startups. There's, I think, Sartex, there's Basis, a couple of my friends are in that one. Asus, another one, which one of my friends is in. But there are these organizations which have these monthly events around entrepreneurship, and they even have these yearly competitions. I know that basis has the startup 100k challenge where if you win it you get a 100k for your startup and that's in dollars by the way to build your startup and that's without giving up any equity to basis or anyone else so i think that's just like completely amazing and i don't think you're gonna find that in any other school
0: about the startup 100k challenge was this the same challenge where this one person Basically, he tailored his startup just for that competition, got the 100k and then bought a car or something. Is that the same one?
1: Oh, man. I mean, I'm not sure about the story. Yeah. So, I I mean, I've heard legends, right? Like, you hear things. For one year, this one dude comes in and he wants to buy a car. So he goes on and he sees who the judges are and everything like that. And he tailors his startups into something that they might want to buy and they might like with no intention of taking it forward. Gets the money and gets himself into a car. I'm not sure if this is true.
0: It it also has to be illegal on some level. I'm not sure. I mean, there has to be some agreement.
1: (laughs) I mean, if you have the money... (laughs)
0: Fair enough. Speaking of other crazy stories, there's a couple of other traditions which I remember you telling me very vividly. So, one is about the great street of Tenderloin. Street or district or...
1: Oh, Tenderloin. Oh man. SF. Yeah. Right. So, Tenderloin is this area in SF which is not the safest. Like by not the safest, I mean that the bars there, they charge about two or three dollars per shot of alcohol because they know it's so unsafe to go there at night that they actually discount their drinks so people would actually come. So it's that kind of a place and I was working for this startup during my freshman summer and one of the chief officers there, he told me a story about how he came out of a meeting in that area and there's this homeless person who kind of calls out to him, you know, like asking for money or something. My boss, ignores him and walks away. And then behind him, he hears footsteps, and the person is just running after him for absolutely no reason. <laughs> and my boss mentioned that he had to run for about four or five blocks into this construction site to lose him before he could call a cab and get the hell out of there.
0: This so- is the less glamorous side of startups.
1: Yeah, so the Bay Area <laughs> has all this, right? Like, from the Bay Area, what you would see is usually Google's headquarter office or the Apple spaceship-looking thingy, which I'm sure can lift off. Like, if it <laughs> I would be surprised. But this goes back to my point, like, What, ex- what the hell
0: is the Bay Area? Is it Stanford? W- where does the Bay Area end? I'm not sure myself, <laughs> to be honest. I've lived it- there for two years, and I have no idea. What and- if the
1: Bay Area goes all the way down to San Diego? I don't think it's that big. I hope it's not, (laughs) but to be honest, um, the Bay Area has all these things, the Google and Apple offices, the startup offices, all the VC offices, all the things you see in documentaries. And it also has things like Tenderloin and East Palo Alto, which is this, I mean, there's this, I mean, this has been in the media for a while right now about how white neighborhoods are usually well off compared to minority neighborhoods. And so East Palo Alto is a perfect example of that because in the Palo Alto that you and I know, we sees and we see Google and Apple and in the Palo Alto, they know in East Palo Alto, you have people who are struggling to go to school and all these problems that plague America right behind, like, I think 20 minutes away by car. And you see so many outreach programs for countries like Bangladesh in um, Sanford, but you also see outreach programs to actually fix the neighborhood in our backyard. So the Bay Area all of them, and more often than not, people just ignore that fact.
0: So in fact, something similar was in Chicago as well, when a group of friends and I, we were discussing possible Airbnb locations to go there for a weekend trip in February. Mm -hmm. And how we really had to do our research first, because Chicago, if you go from the west side, it's okay. It's the relatively posh neighborhoods. And if you accidentally go to the south side, then that's where it's like a completely different world, just based on research.
1: Even in San Diego, where I worked over the summer, I lived in this neighborhood called La Jolla, which was, again, a predominantly white neighborhood. And it was, I think, the definition of bougie. Never before okay. <laughs> did I have to pay $7 for coffee, <laughs> for a cold cup of coffee. I mean, it was cold, and it was really good. But still, I mean, $7 is a lot. And this was during the time when I, I remembered the table to 73, because okay. <laughs> that was be easy to INR at the time, so... You had to remember that because I was a good Indian kid. And yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. 73 ones are 73. 73, one forty six. and 73 is mad. I'm not buying this. No, no, no. no. <laughs>
0: for some reason, I used to think San Diego and San Francisco are really close to each other. In fact, for some reason, I used to think that everywhere within the U.S. isn't that far. Like, Because in India, you're never... I mean, any two cities are maximum of three hours away by plane, which doesn't seem like that much. But when we were discussing- Ooh, our, Which India are you living in? <laughs> I mean, if you go from like north to south, then it's like maximum of three hours. By plane?
1: By, by okay. plane. Okay. By I, plane. Heard it,
0: so I was like, wait, what? <laughs> no, 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 no. By plane. By plane. <laughs> and I, I remember when uh, we were discussing the itinerary and like how to, or like when to book flights for the carry trip. <laughs> Oh, man. But I, I saw, first uh-huh. of all, I saw 250
1: USD as a state. What? Man, flights can be both expensive and cheap in the US. It's, it's crazy. Like, when I went to San Diego, I remember getting first class on Alaska for $97. And then when you and I were booking, sorry, trying to book for yeah. that trip, <laughs> sobs again. But when we were trying to do that it was like a hundred bucks for the economy saver class which they have where you only have this one backpack and they give you literally they give you peanuts for the flight and you can't use the overhead bin and for that category it was a hundred bucks and if you actually wanted to travel like a human being then you would have to pay for something like 200 was this
0: united by any chance
1: (laughs) Oh um, man, it's everyone. United, United. Um, I think they started it off, but everyone has followed the footsteps. Like they've collectively lowered the bar for the entire uh, industry in the US. <laughs>
0: because United, I remember on the flight from San Francisco to Singapore, which is a 17 and a half hour flight. So I expected them to like have at least service twice or maybe thrice if we're lucky. But on their website, they just said they're giving dinner. And right? I mean, reading the reviews of United, I did, I was like, that's actually possible. So I packed like 15 granola bars in my bag just to eat on the flight in case we only got dinner. We didn't. We got more, but they didn't tell us that until they actually. Did.
1: Yeah, 15 granola bars, though, man. <laughs>
0: 15, not even kidding. Or it was I, more
1: like. Dabi if you don't carry those paranthas into the flight, man. Like, what, did, what are you, what you doing to me? If, if Starbucks
0: were on United, that's what I was wondering. First of all, the level of service would be crazy. But second, it would also be really cringe because you would have so many people, so many Indian people Americanizing their names. Like, I I don't, I don't understand how, not even why, like, forget why, why I kind of get, but how people Americanize their names. Like, I remember in Madison, during one of the orientations, so I met this guy from Pune called Atharv.
1: Okay. And
0: please comprehend the spelling, right? How would you Americanize the name if you are Atharv? What would you tell people your name is? Or what would you tell the Starbucks person your name is so that it's easier.
1: I Starbucks would be a nightmare, I feel for the guy.
0: No, so in this orientation, everyone was going around and they were supposed to like tell something about themselves like introduce themselves to everybody else. He says, hi guys, I'm Andy. No, you're not Andy, bro. (laughs) There is no N, there is no D, there is no Y in your name.
1: Andy? I mean, oh man. (laughs) I mean, Andy. I mean, but going on Starbucks, oh man how did how was your name at starbucks did they did they get enough right i wonder if they did so i don't actually like
0: coffee yeah bombshell but i've only been to starbucks like,
1: all, I, uh, thank you for having me and i think that's all i can do <laughs> <on> the-
0: <laughs> no i i've only had starbucks like twice and that too only once out of my own money oh man <laughs> second time someone else paid for me <laughs> okay so to finish things off i have a would you rather round Which is basically, I'm just going to ask a set of would you rather questions. So, would you rather this or would you rather that? And I just want to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Okay, sounds good. Let's just
0: hit it. Okay, so first of all, would you rather be an overachiever at a mid-tier university or an underachiever at Stanford?
1: Underachiever at Stanford. Okay, (laughs) that was quick. (laughs) No, man, because the kind of opportunities you have at Stanford, even if you're an underachiever, you're going to be better off and it's kind of one of the tragic things to do with how the industry views people like if you went to Stanford, like that's kind of your golden ticket and you have to be really really good to overcome that if you're from a state university it's one of the things i hate about the us but there you go it's like kind of like the iit thing we have at home
0: yeah fair enough but iit okay yeah but in general iit i was going to say something about how if you have IIT Patna, then there's still some question marks. But yeah, IIT is a brand in general.
1: Yeah, yeah but you Fair. don't highlight the Patna part, you know, like you put IIT in 32.0 and you put Patna in four.
0: You put Patna in the appendix, you don't even put it next to IIT.
1: What am I thinking? Where's my head? You're right, man. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, second, and this involves some in Stanford traditions, which I think you might have to explain oh, just a bit. Would you rather give up fountain hopping or give up the Cali train?
1: I was told that this podcast is supposed to be safe for work. So I'm going to go with the, I would give up the Cali train and I would stick with fountain hopping. Fountain uh, how about
0: train? a safe for work description for both of them?
1: Sure. Sure. So <laughs> about the Cali train, um, there's a tradition at Stanford about gate crashing. One of the biggest marathons that takes place in San Francisco. And one of the things that we do before gate crashing that marathon is that we get you don't sleep the entire night, say, we stay up the entire night and we have some fun, and then we board the train, much to the disgust of normal travelers. Sorry for that, by the way. If anyone's listening, <laughs> you kind of get there and yeah, you run.
0: You forget that the marathon exists when you reach there.
1: Yeah, it's no longer a marathon. It's just about surviving and looking at the sights till you can get some food in you. And hopefully not going to Tenderloin, right? And not ending up at Tenderloin. Yeah. You (laughs) might have to cross some streets off Tenderloin, scared as a bunny. But yeah. And fountain hopping is this really wholesome Stanford tradition where you just, we have a lot of fountains. We have so many fountains. I think... Oh, we have one in every block. It's crazy. So you have this tradition that before you graduate, you have to have kind of gone into those founders and hopped around and got yourself wet and got your friends wet. This is safe for work. Meaning of wet, by the way, this is... But yeah. You also don't sleep the entire night for that to get yourself in a particular state. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you just go inside, you have some fun. So yeah, I think I would... I, I prefer fountain hopping over the Cali 100 percent
0: Okay, so thirdly... Would you rather be a mascot at the big game, which I believe is Stanford versus UC Berkeley if I'm not wrong?
1: Yes, that is correct.
0: So, would you rather be a mascot at the big game and get into a fight or be a bouncer at a club in Tenderloin and get into a fight?
1: I would rather be the mascot because our mascot is a tree. Okay. <laughs> this, is, this is like how people no, joke know. in theater oh.
0: that whatever you do, don't become a tree in the play. <laughs> what?
1: No one actually wants to fight a tree. It's like the least threatening thing you could be. So no matter how gone someone is, even if they try to punch me in my tree costume, it's so bouncy that the, be- the worst that could happen to me is I would fall. In Tenderloin, I could have people chasing after me. So yeah, I take the tree. 100%.
0: Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> Fourth, would okay. you rather relocate to Los Angeles or San Diego? Interesting. I have nothing to do with Stanford as such, but just the two cities.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I would have to say San Diego because better beaches, less crime, more or less the same number of, you know, tech companies or things like that. And I don't know, LA has this weird thing where you'd be walking in this one street for a while and it'd be like really late and it'd have a lot of life. And you take one right from that street and suddenly you're in Tenderloin again. <laughs> like LA is amazing. Were
0: you also on the Cali train from LA to SF? Maybe that's where you didn't realize you've reached Tenderloin. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no man. I I, I I at least I hope I didn't. <laughs> but yeah, no, LA is scary for someone who, I don't know man, LA is just scary all around. I was trying to think of a part of LA which isn't scary to me, but I think they're all scary. Like,
0: <laughs> I've heard even on places like Hollywood Boulevard where they have all those mascots and stuff. Sometimes the mascots can start punching you. Like.
1: They can start running off to you. They can start punching you. They can pickpocket you. I think Hollywood Boulevard is actually one of the scariest places in LA for me. I think the nicest place in LA are the beaches because there you're like, you know, there's the sea calming you down and there's just like people in happy moods. But in Hollywood Boulevard, oh man, it's just like people screaming at you and mascots and everything. It's a lot.
0: And lastly, so because you're in Delhi right now and you're doing your summer quarter, would you rather do four years of Stanford remotely sitting in Delhi or do four years of Stanford at the South Pole? And you can't go back for four years.
1: So at, uh, what would be my environment in the South Pole?
0: Exactly what the South Pole is expected to be. Like the big game is no longer going to be football it's going to be ice hockey stuff like that. Like you're you're, you're so basically you're living, living in the in South the, Pole. Oh yeah and like you'd have your entire Stanford campus and all your friends and stuff just at the South Pole in the horrible weather and you can't go back before four years.
1: I would very happily go to South Pole. <laughs> doesn't mean i hate my family i love my family but just like before they hear this and they're like okay we're kicking out what i mean by this is the remote experience the remote learning experience has not been great i just don't get the same motivation to work and even as an instructor i know it's hard to kind of induce that in students so no 100 percent go to the south pole hang out with my friends 100
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on and being a part of it and sharing your experiences at Stanford.
1: Yeah, this has been one of the most fun days I've had, I must say. Yeah, it's been great. And
0: best best. of luck with everything else at Stanford.
1: Thank you. Thank you too. Have a good time at NTU.
0: So that concludes episode 5 of Quarantine. I hope you enjoyed it. And we'll be switching to a fortnightly format from now on. So stay tuned for the next episode in two weeks. Thank you for listening and hope you enjoyed it.